Hi, this is Sarah from Wilpf, and you're listening to Sejura. Sejura means pause, a breath that we take when one phrase ends and another begins. Break away from the world for a moment and discover with us a future of peace and feminism through poetry. And for the first part, we hand the floor to Angela Ramos. <sighs> to the mothers of the Deva, to the women in the fields, the peace you deserve will soon find you. Part 2. The present, during the warm night and through the dense air. In a house made of wood and tin, mothers sit in a circle holding golden picture frames. Marks on their brown knees, bleach-scented hands, untouched broken nails, scarred legs from running. The dirt is empty and their sons have not returned. They wait for a sign, a call. On the patio, chickens peck at their cages. The smell of black coffee with brown sugar fills the room, while one of them grinds corn to suffocate the morning. The hills hear the rain coming, and the droplets kiss the green grass and the wildflowers, and the water filters through the cursed soil, where the bones without flesh lay restless among the white crosses and nameless tombstones. On the other side of the city, a tall woman of fair skin, jasmine-scented manicure hands, sits on a Victorian plush sofa in her apartment in a tall brick building, cashmere sweater, golden brooch, untouched legs crossed. She lets a woman of bleach-scented hands pour tea in her porcelain cup and place it on a mahogany wooden table. The fair-skinned woman picks up a magazine, carefully examining the cover. Three men in hazmat suits, kneeling down by an empty pit. The headline reads, Dadeva. The fair-skinned woman puts it down. Dead bodies were never something she was interested in, or politics. She waits for a call from her daughter, who lives in a one-bedroom apartment in the West Village. Her daughter is at a party with the children of other fair-skinned women. The music is loud and cold. She's free above the ground. They place the white powder over the kitchen table. She snorts the white powder. The high fades in 25 minutes. $150. One gram, 25 minutes, she calls her mother. Two hours away in the bustling streets of Medellin, a young woman keeps a stash inside her bag. Between eyes crossing, a sale is made. 17 pesos and 37 cents. At the store, milk, eggs, arepas, beans, some rice. The children can't go to bed hungry. It breeds misery, she says to herself. The next day, men with guns tucked inside their pockets, shut one, shut two, shut three, a trail of blood and hearts mend, 17 pesos and 37 cents. They run to hide. The women bring them rice and beans. And in the house next door, the men keep stashing the white powder away. Sealed, shipped, sealed, shipped, sealed, shipped, repeat, 
shut one, shut two, shut three, sealed, shipped, sealed, shipped, sealed, shipped, repeat, shut one, shut two, shut three. That night, in a small town in the mountains, Hakari, there's a storm coming. At dawn, the flood carries the empty bullet cartridges. It showers the landmines sunk in the ground. And not far away, a woman tends to her crops. Parsley, turmeric, coffee. Next to it, the bright chartreuse green that adorns the mountain. Coca. The men of uneven shoulders and loud voices pay their usual visit. They ask for water. They keep a tight grip on the M4s that rest against their chests. In less than 25 minutes, fire opens. Soon, the chartreuse green is gone, the parsley crushed beneath black rubber boots. Her head lays on the ground. The trail of blood left behind makes the orchids and bromeliads grow. For if there is no peace, at least there will be flowers. That morning a phone rings in the house made of wood and tin. The rain has not stopped. A mother sobs. Her insides go numb. The birds cheer louder than ever. Valeva. Each heartbeat less air. There is no air below ground for each gasp of air. For every time a son of the mountain dies and a mother can't name her grief, a flower grows in the dry dirt. A prayer reaches her. There is calm. At noon, a young girl watches the 12 p.m. news. For lunch, rice, beans, eggs, no misery. Between bites, they say, Nadeva. Where's Sadeva, mom? Somewhere by the mountains, honey. They say, Hakari. Where's Hakari, mom? Somewhere by the mountains, honey. Cryptography, running fingers on colorful maps. Every time she learns a piece of the earth, of her country, she hears how many had to die for the name to reach her ears. So, she founds a new country. So it all stops spinning. She grows a bean plant in a glass jar. There is a wish hidden in the middle of the leaves. If I grow enough seeds, she thinks, maybe no one will go to bed hungry. If I grow enough seeds, maybe one day I can grow flowers. Tend a garden with water not tinted with blood. Grow parsley, turmeric, coffee, feed the men of uneven shoulders, for the fire to cease, for the spinning of day, night, sealed, shipped, to stop, for abundance, abundance of love, where fair-skinned women of jasmine-scented hands meet the women of brown knees and bleach-scented hands halfway, for if there is no peace, let there be hope and flowers, orchids, bromeliads, roses, and rain to make them grow. Hi, and welcome to the second episode of Sajur. 
the Angela Ramos poem you just heard is called The Present, and that's exactly the tone of today's discussion with both our guests. With us, we have Cynthia Enlo. She is a research professor of political science and women's and gender studies at Clark University in Massachusetts. We also have with us today Diana Maria Salcedo, a Colombian activist, feminist, and anti-militarist. She's a political scientist at the Universidad Nacional de Colombia, and she's the director of WILF Colombia, LIMPAL. So welcome, Diana, and welcome, Cynthia. It's really a great pleasure to be speaking to you both. It's lovely. Thank you. I'm going to start with a question to Cynthia because she defines militarization as, and I'm, I'm going to quote her here, as the multi-stranded process by which the roots of militarism are driven deep down into the soil of a society. And she continues to say that persistent militarization in a post-war society serves to re-entrench the privileging of masculinity in both private and public life. So picking on that, Cynthia, what roles can women play in the demilitarization of society and how can they impact and change its gender assumption? Well, drawing on Angela Ramos's magnificent poem, which I've now read, I think, at least three times. So I'm so glad you're doing this Wilt broadcast featuring Angela's poem, because one of the things that really struck in her poem, and for all of you who are listening to this podcast read the poem again, listen to the poem again. And one of the things that struck me each time I read it is I was thinking about the woman in Bogota, obviously a rather privileged woman, and she's described as the woman with the jasmine-scented hands. And she's contrasted with the women who are the women with the bleached-scented hands. And bleach it is a, a material that you use, a liquid you use to sanitize or to clean. And so the women with the bleach scented hands seem to be very clearly poor women living on the other side of Bogota from the woman with the jasmine scented hands. Uh, and they are probably even her own hired, poorly paid domestic workers. But I thought about the woman with the jasmine-scented hands because Angela, in her poem, describes this woman as looking at a newspaper and it's featuring the newspaper, um, a story about the discovered, buried, mass grave bodies up in the mountains where so much of the violence of the long war went on and still is going on. And when this woman with the jasmine scented hands, the woman sitting on her couch, sipping a cup of tea, sees this feature story about the discovery of the mass graves, she doesn't want to look at it. She puts it aside. She said, she's not interested in dead bodies. She's not interested in politics, she says in the poem. And I thought that's what militarization could look like for a woman who looks as though she has nothing to do with militarism. It, it doesn't portray her as out there being supportive of soldiers. It doesn't portray her as voting for pro-militarized civilian politicians. It doesn't say that she has a husband or a brother or a son in the Colombian military. No. This is why the roots of militarization go much deeper than what we see on the surface. Those roots go down, and in her life, they make her shrug off with distaste anything about uh, the wartime violence. 
And for her to be demilitarized is for her to think, oh, this does have something to do with me. It doesn't mean, you know, automatically she'll be out there with other Colombian peace activists at a peace march. And may not be that. It may be that just within a couple of weeks, she'll think, I should know more about this. This is my country. This is my life. I'm connected. So for her, demilitarization will be to be more curious, to see herself connected to the things that she doesn't like for the sake of trying to understand them and making a better life. Now, when most of us try to watch demilitarization go on, we watch guns being handed in. We always hope, it doesn't happen, that the country's militarized defense budget will be lowered, that fewer uh, soldiers will be deployed up into the mountains where poor Colombians live. That's what we look at. But actually, I also think we should watch the woman on the couch. She may still be on the couch, but will she now? You know, we're now several years away from the Havana Peace Accords where Colombian peace activist women took so much part. Will she begin to think maybe her daughter will urge her? So I think demilitarization, it can take a lot of forms, but in the poem, I was thinking about this privileged woman with the jasmine-scented hands, thinking, will she overcome her distaste for mass graves? I mean, nobody likes mass graves, but will she overcome that and begin to see that she's connected? Because if she sees she's connected, maybe she'll see that she's accountable and responsible. And that's a big step towards any woman from being demilitarized. And a lot of women in a lot of war-torn countries, and there are a lot of them today, as we all know, it is simply women becoming more engaged, more connected, even if they feel it's a risk or they think it's something they're not used to being interested in. Thank you, Cynthia. That was incredibly insightful, but also it fits so nicely with the poem. I'm going to turn to Diana now. I have a question for you. Do you think that the political representation of women in, in high places of power can translate into positive transformations regarding women in local communities, for example? Can activists such as the already now recognized and awarded Francia Marquez have a real impact on the lives of Colombian women? Or does the change have to come from the grassroots organizations? Political representation of women has been for decades and proposed to achieve in the fight for our rights. But representation of women without a women agenda is not a game that can be set back for our political goals. The positive transformation requires not only the representation for, of female bodies, but also transgressive political bets for the perspectives of women's rights, hopeful families. Activists uh, like Francia, whose leadership is remarkable, represents a transformation not only because she is women, but also because she is black women, who come from an unequal society and whose life experience is definitely an effect of the community's work of the organizations and the process inside the territory. 
in this transformation, we all have to work multi-legal organizations and women of different political views in the search for change towards equality. Very interesting. Thank you so much. It's uh, going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I saw that uh, Francia Marquez uh, uh, presented the candidature to the presidential elections. I have a last question that perhaps both Cynthia and Diana could answer, which is in which way can women be leaders of change for the safety of local communities? Women have argued the need to understand security in a close relationship with the minimum guarantees for life in conditions of dignity. With the recognition uh, of the role that women have their communities and with the full guarantees of their rights and subjects and citizens. Women have proposed new ways of understanding the community care concept and what it really means they it comes to improve security conditions they have engaged in difficult on transgressive dialogue with a state and non-state actors in order to mitigate the impact of work and they keep questions the power given armed men uh, for their protection, especially in cases of the security scheme assigning to human rights advocates and leaders at risk. Collectively, uh, we women have proposed pacific practice and protection strategies that demand action without harm and that place life at the center. Some women refuse security provided by the state because it simply reduces any action to the failure of militarization. And Cynthia, how can women lead change in local communities? Well, I think it depends who you are, who you, who I, who we are in, in our relationship to that local community. So one of the things that we've learned and will activists around the world have taught us this, and that is you can't be the woman from the city capital who has had the chance to graduate from secondary school. Maybe you've even been able to go to university. And then you go out to a local impoverished rural village and tell them how to get involved in peace activism. That never works because it, what it says to the women in the local village is that Oh, those women from the city, they've always thought they know more than we do. You know, they speak better Spanish or they speak better Burmese or they speak better Dari if they're in Afghanistan. And they're always with their good grammar and their nicer clothes and usually their impatience. They're always trying to tell us what to do. I think the way any of us, you don't set out to be a leader. You set out in the best of all worlds, to be involved. And then out of that involvement, you listen. And the more you listen, the more you learn. And the more you learn, the more of use you can be. And if you can be of use, it's only because you've listened. It's only because I've listened. It's not, I don't come in with the answers. That's not what a leader does. A leader listens and listens and thinks, 
is there something I can offer? Is there something people here can tell me to do that will be of use to them? And then maybe out of that, I can help be part of a leadership group. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe I'll just be a good follower. That would be great. Everyone can't be a leader and shouldn't be a leader. It's hard to learn how to be a good, useful follower. Thank you, both of you, for answering to our questions and helping us understand how we, as women, support peace. Hey, break is over. You just listened to Cynthia Enloe and Diana Salcedo. We hope you liked the episode. If so, listen to the other episodes of Seijua, and you can also check out our other podcast, Siasi Shahsi, or The Political is Personal, a dialogue from and through the Middle East and North African region. If you want more, join us on our social media. It's simply at Wilp. We look forward to seeing you there.